This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's guest speaker is one of the top 50 New York City tech influencers of 2019. He has helped over 1,000 startups raise over $1 billion in funding. He serves on the Innovation Council of Forward.us with Mark Zuckerberg, and he brings more global startups to New York City than any organization in the world. Listen in as Brian Frumberg and I discuss about how we can solve immigration reform in the USA, why Amazon failed at bringing HQ2 to New York City, and what female founders are doing in New York to change the gender gap. Welcome to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and I will be your host throughout this series. Together, we will explore AI through fireside conversations with industry experts. From business executives and AI researchers to leaders who advance AI for all, Humane is the channel to release new AI products, to learn about industry trends, and to bridge the gap between humans and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Brian, thanks so much for being with us on the Humane Podcast. For our audience, Brian and I met a few months back at the Czech Republic Accelerator, which Brian runs out of Venture Out. What's new with the ventures since we last met? Is going on right now with the Czech Republic Accelerator? Well, listen, thanks again for coming to that event. That was the demo night for the fourth cohort of the Czech Accelerator in New York City that we run in partnership with Czech Invest, which is part of the government of the Czech Republic, which is, you know, gives a look into our area of focus as an innovation platform and an accelerator. So from the earliest days, Venture Out has been focused on 
trying to create more efficiency in a global venture ecosystem by providing opportunities for the most promising innovators and startup founders around the world to gain access to all the opportunities available to them here in New York City and the broader U.S. ecosystem. And so we started doing that in 2012. As you said, at the time, I was working at Gotham Ventures, which is like one of the OG venture capital funds in New York City. And had an opportunity to work with some really promising startup founders that were also immigrants and founded their companies abroad and had gotten them here and learned about the challenges they faced. But also, you know, in sort of digging into that a little bit more through the research from the Kaufman Institute and Steve Case and others, learned about how important immigrant founders were to the U.S. economy, to innovation here. So I started hosting events featuring really promising startups that that I was helping to fly in from abroad and pitching them in front of having them pitch in front of uh, US investors you know sort of trying to create an environment for these promising innovators to connect with the investors they otherwise had a hard time getting in touch with and very quickly learned that they needed a whole lot more help than that and that the venture ecosystem both here in New York and really around the US needed a bit of education on how they should be considering foreign startups in the same way they consider startups that maybe don't today meet their criteria, but they know will, you know, six or 12 months from now. And so to look at it as a sort of pipeline approach. And so I started by organizing not just pitch night events, but what we called hyper accelerators, really short form programs that were essentially private conferences for CEOs of startups from one country or another and bringing them here to educate them on how what the right way to expand to the US was so they could avoid the mistakes others were making. We focused on companies that were a little more mature than your typical accelerator because you're not ready to launch into a new market until you actually have product market fit in your home market and maybe some traction. So our education focused not on, you know, sort of like sales or marketing 101, but very much scale strategy, how to scale from a seed company to a growth stage company, and what are the tools and processes and team you need to do that across sales and marketing, you know, your fundraising strategy and the rest, and then basically exposing them to as wide a swath of the New York ecosystem that is relevant to them as possible from corporate innovation offices to you know, successful startup founders that can talk about their stories and they can learn from the mistakes that they and successes that they had, as well as a, a large number of investors that they meet. And a lot of this is in, you know, sort of closed door sessions and then also a number of, of bigger events that we would host. And, you know, that's sort of how we started with those short form programs. But, you know, fast forward to today and we've accelerated over 900, almost a thousand companies through programs like that. We've run about 150 cohorts through that program. And then, you know, a few years ago, we had a lot of companies that, you know, sort of came back to us and said, Hey, Brian, the program was great. We learned a lot. We went back home. We did all the work and took all the steps you said to take. And now we're ready to launch. Or they would, they would just come and knock on my door and say, Hey, I'm in New York now. What can you do for me? And I always knew a, a next phase for us would not be just running this sort of one week program that was introducing them and exposing them to the New York and US ecosystem. But actually helping them to launch into it, to start scaling and selling to their first clients and driving traction, and then eventually to actually raise capital. So we started running uh, long-form accelerator programs. The first one we did in partnership with the New York City Economic Development Corporation, supporting companies from Italy coming into New York in January of 2017. And that was very much a beta test of us taking our short program and 
seeing how it would work, trying to accelerate companies over a much longer period of time, really serving as less of a liaison and more as a partner advisor, you know, sort of hand-to-hand combat with the founders as they try to break into the U.S. market. And now we're running those, uh, and it's really like the fastest growing part of the business, and we have more and more startups coming through that all the time. So we are in the midst of our fifth cohort for the Czech Accelerator. We are about to kick off our first cohort for the Skolkovo NYC Accelerator. Skolkovo is a nonprofit that is the main innovation player in Moscow. So it's going to be all Russian startups coming through that program. We have a number of others that we're about to launch, but we're waiting on the press release and approval from our government partners, which, as you can imagine, takes longer than it does maybe with some other kinds of organizations, You know, which is interesting for us because we're always sitting in the middle of very slow-moving, process-driven, bureaucratic government and very nimble, unbelievably fast-moving startups. And so it's always like I'm in a twilight zone trying to figure out the difference between the two. But uh, but anyway, the Czech Accelerator, that was the event you were at. And we've had some really great successes with that, even though we only started bringing companies through in January last year. And I think with this cohort, we're at about 12. But they've had a tremendous amount of success. I mean, just across that cohort of companies, many of whom only finished our program within the last six months, They've already done an aggregate over a million dollars in sales in the U.S. market. So just a lot of traction really fast, which is exactly what we want to see. Like our success is the success that those companies have, as is true of any accelerator or venture fund. So that was a long answer to a short question, but that's sort of my style sometimes. So apologies, David. No, that's great. And particularly for the United States and New York City as a community, why is cross-border innovation so important for fostering development of new ventures? So when I first started digging into this, it was very much, you know, the answer to your question, it's a macro question. And the research was just so astoundingly powerful that this became immigration reform at first for me, was an issue of passion to a lot of people that were influencers in the tech community that otherwise didn't care who I was. I had not even launched Venture Out yet, so why would they get involved? And so I tied our launch event to the idea of immigration reform. And immigration reform obviously is important if there's not a pathway for entrepreneurs to be able to get here. And there still isn't an entrepreneur's visa, as there is in many, many other countries that have prioritized what is called really the competition for talent and innovators. And the statistics are, you know, and a lot of this research, I probably can update a lot of it's a little bit old, but, you know, 50% of uh, Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants or children Mm -hmm. of immigrants. The instance of entrepreneurship among Immigrants is two to three times that of native born Americans. So they're the ones going out and creating small companies and jobs at a much higher frequency than we are, whether it's an innovative startup or it's a mom and pop, you know, coffee shop or grocery store or whatever it is, or Yahoo or Google. And then if you look at where job creation in the US, which is like if, you know, it's what every politician really cares about is the jobs they're creating for their constituents and the economic activity, you know, opportunity that those people have. There was this really compelling piece of research that was done by the Kaufman Institute that attributed a hundred percent net job growth between I think it was 1982 and 1997. A hundred percent of all net jobs created 
were created by companies that were less than five years old. And so that's to say companies that were more than five years old hired as many people as they fired over that period of time. And all job growth came from those smaller companies. And so when you think about that and you think about how much more entrepreneurship is happening amongst immigrants than is happening with Native Americans. And then, you know, part one, part two is the idea of foreign direct investment, which other countries or smaller states around the U.S. care a lot about. It's the idea of bringing a company from one location into your jurisdiction, and then they are investing by building an office, building a manufacturing plant, and then creating tens, hundreds, sometimes thousands of jobs. That is essentially what we're doing. Our work is economic development work. We're trying to find the most promising innovators around the world who want to come here because venture capital markets are completely inefficient. Almost all the capital lives here and it doesn't invest outside the US. So if those companies want to be able to scale in the way that you know a typical San Francisco startup really scales and grows with funding, they have to be here. And so they want to get here. And so we're trying to create pathways for those companies to get here because then they invest and open an office and then they're hiring talented people out of this, you know, in the ecosystem here and creating jobs in America. And should their company really grow, that's just economic activity. It is, you know, we're providing access to opportunity for these companies. And then they're creating opportunities and growth for New York City and the broader United States. So very, very mission driven, the work we do. And, you know, people often ask me the thing that I like the most about my job. It's a long list. I love the work that we do talk to anyone that's in a mission-driven job. And there's just a lot of satisfaction you get to have when the work is done well. For me, I worked in finance before this, not my venture days. I mean, I was in equity research, you know, working at a, a startup that was acquired by S&P and then very quickly found myself, you know, like an institutional salesperson selling research to hedge fund analysts and PMs. And in that world, it is a zero-sum game. Every time there is a winner, what that winner wins, someone else has lost, right? In the world I operate in today, that's not the same. I am in a role now where I really feel like we're helping the pie to just get bigger as opposed to figuring out who owns which slice of it. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have a foreign ecosystem like the Czech Republic that wants to grow. We and you have startup founders from those ecosystems that want to become global successes. We create an opportunity for that company to get access to the biggest consumer and enterprise marketplace and the biggest venture funding ecosystem on the planet bringing them here. They then often in turn will grow and become one of our success stories. And when they raise that money and they drive revenue and they're able to use that to reinvest in their company, when they first are hiring new employees and they're thinking about hiring a developer, are they going to hire them for 150K in New York City? Are they going to hire them for 40K in Prague? Right. So they're growing job creation. They're growing their office and operations at home because it's easier for them to do that because they'll have a larger footprint there. And just a few people on the ground here. But then as they continue to succeed, they would grow more of a footprint here. So they have more of an impact on the ecosystem here. And so you have the ecosystem at home wins. The ecosystem in the U.S. wins. The company wins because they get to grow and have access to more opportunity. And then at Venture Out, we win by being able to be the facilitator of all of that. And so that's what I mean by the pie grows as opposed to figuring out how to cut it up. And that is probably the thing I love the most about the work that we do here at Venture Out. I love how mission-driven you are and your missions continue beyond what you do at Venture Out to other organizations that you're a member at. So we previously 
discussed before being on the podcast about Forward.us and their Innovation Council, how a lot of work is done with dreamers and, and helping with immigration. As myself, being someone who is first generation and who lives in uh, Long Island City, New York, I see around me all the time immigrants. You know, a lot of them are part of the EB5 program and other programs. And I uh, wanted to hear about the work you're doing with Forward.us and perhaps how that's helping bridge the gap with immigration as well. Yeah. So I didn't really know it, but, you know, immigration access to people from different cultures has been something that I've I've been drawn to since I was in college. I grew up in Long Island in, you know, a town where too many guys were wearing pastel colored polos with their collars popped. And I went all the way down to Virginia to go to University of Richmond, thinking that seven and a half hours by car was far enough from Long Island to get exposed to something different and found myself in basically a version of my high school on the campus of University of Richmond, you know, obviously a little more diverse, but very much the same sort of, you know, demographic. And I countered that by spending most of my time hanging out with uh, and making friends with all of the exchange students that were there. And Richmond had sort of like a higher proportion of immigrant students and exchange students and foreign students than did most other universities in the U.S. And so I had a lot of opportunity to do that. When it came to Forward.us, I had already run a number of immigration reform-focused events in New York by the time they actually made it. They were founded in San Francisco by Mark Zuckerberg. He very quickly created you know, a board of advisors that includes every scion in tech and venture from Fred Wilson to Steve Case and the rest. And so by the time they had made it to New York and their team here was searching for organizations that also was focused on immigration reform and innovation, we were on the short list. And so we very quickly hosted a number of events together where I had them coming in and speaking at the pitch nights we were organizing with foreign founders pitching to tell the story about how people could get involved in trying to drive immigration reform forward. And then when they decided to organize an innovation council, essentially bringing in leaders in the ecosystem that could help to, you know, sort of spread the gospel to a further audience to use their, you know, influencer platform to get the word out to their audience to bring in other influencers. And really, it's, this is a passing legislation is a grassroots effort. It's about getting out to as many voters as possible to tell them why this really matters to the future of their economy. You know, I'm very focused on business immigration reform because it's just so critical to what I do. I've become passionate about comprehensive immigration reform because of everything I've learned through my work with Forward.us. I work closely with a number of dreamers, some of whom are some of the most impressive people I've ever met. One was like the first female VC at Samsung Samsung's venture arm here in New York at like the age of 25, dealing with all the trials and tribulations of being an undocumented immigrant while growing up, which, you know, I can only imagine as someone that grew up in like an upper middle class town as a white man. So anyway, my, you know, sort of purview has grown beyond that, but my focus and sort of where it is that I can have an impact is telling the the business immigration story most impactfully. And I've been lucky enough to have an opportunity to go down to D.C. with them, to speak to different members of Congress, both of those that I'm a constituent of here in New York City, but also beyond that. So that's been very rewarding work. Obviously, we're at a time today where it's really hard to make progress in any area like that. And so, you know, hoping that that changes in the near future. 
but again, definitely a passion of mine. And, you know, if you haven't checked out forward, uh, or the work that they do, it's fwd.us. Take a look at the people that are sort of on the board and leadership. You'll be very, very impressed with these are the people that are pushing this forward and the arguments that they have for it are very common sense. You know, what's frustrating about immigration reform is that when it comes to business immigration, it's a hundred percent support right, is on the left, it is on the right, everyone believes. I mean, even Trump talks about, like, you know, his version of it is the right people, which is definitely not the kind of black and white line I think is appropriate to be drawing. But the idea there is we should be focused on this competition for talent, on creating pathways for innovators and doctors and people that have higher degrees in STEM fields to be able to come here. Because guess what? We are underemployed in those jobs here in the U.S., we do not have enough people graduating from schools or enough people in the workforce today to fill those jobs. There are millions of jobs unfilled in those spaces at universities, at corporates, at startups and the rest. And it's really hard for them to get here. It's hard when they graduate from our universities for them to stay here. And everyone agrees with that because it's so obvious. But it gets tied to the border and it gets tied to illegal immigrants. And there are people in Congress that have not allowed bills to be even taken to the floor to be voted on, on business immigration, which everyone agrees with, because they've handcuffed it to illegal immigration, to border security and the rest. And so it has been very frustrating. I've been fighting this fight since 2012. And while we had a number of wins along the way, there's definitely been some steps in the wrong direction over the last couple of years. So not going to give up on the fight because it's so important to the work I do and so important to the nation. Into our economy. But uh, yeah, that's the, again, another long winded answer to the work I do with forward.us and how it marries with the work I do with Venture Out. I think it's super important, you know, when we're looking at competition for tech. Uh, in fact, four episodes ago on the Humane podcast, I interviewed Tara Chiklovsky, who runs Iridescent and runs the AI Family Challenge and also the Technovation Challenge, which is one that invites girls from all over the world to learn to be entrepreneurs and start getting involved in tech. And traditionally, even in New York, you know, being a woman in tech, uh, whether you're in an organization like Women Who Quant, Women 2.0, Girls Who Code and all these organizations, it's often only less than 20, less than 30%, that might be overly optimistic, as a percentage of the tech workforce are women. And there's a lot of opportunity to improve there and to improve that underrepresentation for founders. Wanted to hear your thoughts on the New York tech ecosystem and you know what organizations like Female Founder Fund and others are doing to help bridge that gap as well. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, definitely another issue I'm very passionate about. You know, we've run a women in tech program here focused on all female founders. So not having a sector or country focus, but actually it did have country focus. It was also Canadian. It was all Canadian women founded businesses and something we want to do more. Uh, you know, we have worked with and know well Reshma from Girls in Code and the team over at SheWorks. And I've known Sotian from Female Founders Fund for a long time since her time at Firstmark before she uh, went over and became a co-founder of Female Founders Fund. You know, that as an issue, I think, before looking at sort of the prevalence of women in tech or women in tech in New York City, I see it as something that starts actually much earlier than that. There was this amazing, so my favorite journalist is Fareed Zakaria. Mm -hmm. uh, you can watch on CNN on Sundays and he has a 
column in the Washington Post that he puts out every week. And he talks about this amazing study that was done that had to do with the economic impact of the workforce in the U.S. and the economy in the U.S. of not having more favorable family leave policy. And the you know, the sort of, you know, to fast forward through the minutia of it, should the U.S., were the U.S. to have uh, policies more similar to what you see in Europe, it would enable so many more women to be active in the workforce that it would add over 10 years, over a trillion dollars to the U.S. economy, right? So this is both, you know, people that leave the workforce because, the cost of daycare is something close to the cost, uh, the amount of money they make after taxes in their job. And so they're going to stay home and spend time with their kids. Getting back into the workforce after doing that is unbelievably hard. A number of these people have completed successfully higher education or working in very powerful jobs. These are exactly the kinds of people that companies want to hire. They're exactly the kinds of people that drive our economy. And so there's this massive, massive pool of talent that is basically forced to the sidelines because of you know family leave policy and not having a national policy in the US. And I think that often that is very much at the root of the issue in my mind because, you know, the thing that we talk about at Venture Route is the best way to have an impact on a foreign ecosystem is to create success stories. Because if you take those success stories and you showcase them to the community, it's easier for you know the next generation to feel like it's possible for them. There's no lack of female success stories when it comes to any aspect, any sector, any role. But when you look at the actual statistics of the percentage of you know uh, boards of Fortune 1000 companies, the percentage of CEOs of those companies, the percentage of founders that are female in funded companies at any stage in tech, it is completely misrepresentative of the base population. And so while there are a lot of stories, because of these policies, there are so many less than there otherwise would be. And so I think that issue is something that starts really there. And creating more of an opportunity for the amazing women in our country to be able to stay in their careers. And if that's, you know, something that they would like to choose to do, because so many don't really get that option and get pulled away. And so I think it starts there. There are a lot, you know, New York is lucky. We have a higher percentage of female founders, higher percentage of funded female founders than any other ecosystem in the U.S. We are I think two to three X that of San Francisco, you know, but that's just the nature of our city, right? New York city has more women than it does men in it by population. You know, if you look at it just from a diversity perspective, one of the most diverse cities in the city, in the country, we have, I think it's close to half the population of New York city are immigrants. They're not from here, which also is why New York city is such a great home for foreign founders that are trying to find their sort of first landing spot. But you know, I think we have it lucky here. There are a lot of amazing initiatives like the ones that I mentioned and you mentioned, and I think they're really important. I think that the issue is broader and beyond that, but every little thing that can be done has an impact and it's something that definitely needs to change. Unfortunately, these things generally don't change quickly. You know, I think we're all, all of us that are passionate about it are doing the, the work that we can day by day to, to make an impact. And definitely a lot of people look up to in this ecosystem here in New York.
Absolutely. And I know the other organization that you're very passionate about is NYC Innovation Collective, where a lot of accelerators and innovators have you know, branded together to partner and, and establish opportunities for all in New York City, right? Whether you're immigrants, whether you're women founders, or whether you're just getting started in tech, that opportunity should exist. And I know we've had the opportunity to chat about uh, what NYC EDC has been building for the city and even beyond that. Why do you think something like NYC EDC C and also the NYC Innovation Collective, both these organizations are so vital to collaboration and innovation in New York. So I'm a huge fan of the New York City Economic Development Corporation and have been uh, partnering with them, co-hosting events since the earliest days of Venture Out. In 2013, we ran a program together, bringing companies from Central and Eastern Europe over to New York. But the EDC is technically a nonprofit. For those of you not familiar with it, it is was founded by Bloomberg when he was mayor here in New York City. And he created it to manage both the real estate portfolio of New York City, which is 80% of the work of the EDC, as well as the economic development work. And so any initiatives related to tech or innovation, related to workforce education, related to, you know, like grants for companies building smart manufacturing plants, the development of Civic Hall in Union Square, like the first incubator in New York City at on Barrick Street, which was then the NYU Poly Incubator, and now I think it's called the Barrick Incubator, run a partnership with the EDC and NYU, was founded by Bloomberg and one of the early initiatives of the EDC post-financial crisis to try to diversify the economy of New York away from its real reliance on financial services and Wall Street and into other industries that they viewed as the industries of the future, like tech and innovation. And you know, I was lucky enough to start working there shortly after it was launched and and still partner with the, you know, the team that originally ran it, including Steve Kuyan, who runs NYC.ai, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and should definitely be somebody that should be on this podcast if he hasn't already, but also runs the Future Lab at NYU, which is you know AI, machine learning focused incubator. And Micah Koch, who now runs UrbanX, which is the Smart Cities Urban Mobility Accelerator that is in partnership with Urban Us. Hey humans, are you accumulating lots of listening minutes for your podcast, but not being rewarded for your listening time? There's a new app available now called PodCoin where you can listen to podcasts and donate your listening time to charity. PodCoin gives you the opportunity to be rewarded for listening to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're listening to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, or Terry Gross, or even Humane, PodCoin is the new app for you to give back for your listening minutes. Check it out on the App Store. Anyway, the work that they do is transformative. It is outside of just tech, but some of the tech initiatives that they're working on are some of the most exciting. They launched a cyber initiative, so they created a massive cyber center that's being run by our partner, SOSA, which is a leader in corporate innovation and cybersecurity from Tel Aviv that now is opening up an entire building much of which will be dedicated to cybersecurity. They also brought in JVP, which is the oldest and largest fund from Israel to be running a cyber accelerator. You know, We're working in partnership with both of them and we'll be launching our first cyber program before the end of the year this year, which we're very excited about. They have similar initiatives across biotech, 
and in a number of different areas. They've funded a ton of incubators. And, and again, my focus is on the tech and innovation aspect of it, but they do work well beyond that uh, into sort of other core industries, non-tech industries, whether it's you know advertising or fashion or others. So as I said, a lot of workforce education you know, before we kicked off the podcast, we talked a little bit about Amazon HQ2. You know, one of the things I had signed on to a letter of support as the president of the New York City Innovation Collective, sort of representing our board and our community in support of an education initiative that the EDC was working on, which was, you know, millions of dollars of grants for educational institutions like Galvanize, for example, that you are very involved with to create educational programming for New Yorkers in outer boroughs and underserved ecosystems to be uh, underserved communities to get educated, to be able to take the jobs that were being created by Amazon here in New York City. You know, not I could we could wax poetic about the Amazon HQ2 fiasco, I'm sure, for a long time, you know, to keep it short and sweet. I think the challenge with that was really around PR. The news that New York won was leaked. And what that meant was that the EDC and the team that had won the opportunity for the HQ2 to be built here in New York City had no found out within days of when the rest of the world found out. And so they didn't have the opportunity to, to announce the plans they had that answered a lot of the questions and solved a lot of the problems that people were really worried about from you know infrastructure challenges to how these jobs would be funneled to as many existing New Yorkers as possible, as opposed to creating this, you know, magnet of yuppies from other cities coming into New York City and then stressing the already strained infrastructure of, uh, of New York. And so I think that a lot of that was a timing issue and a PR issue and definitely, a big, in my opinion, a big loss for the community. You know, the thing that was really frustrating is that you had these arguments about how, uh, you know, the $3 billion in tax credits that they would get would be better reinvested in something like education or healthcare. That money doesn't exist to be given to someone that was otherwise tax revenue the city would earn from the taxes that Amazon would owe because of the infrastructure and the buildings and the people they hired and the work that they did here in New York City. And once those incentives were gone, the city had this massive boon of tax revenue and jobs, and they had committed to 25,000, but it inevitably would have been well more than that. And so very frustrating, the misunderstanding of some of the political leaders in New York City that led to, you know, the unfortunate pullback from New York City by Amazon. But anyway, that's, uh, you know, a lot on the EDC, the Innovation Collective, you know, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to come together with a handful of other leaders in the tech and accelerator ecosystem in New York City three years ago. And really, it happened organically where a couple of people that were running accelerators were commiserating about the shared challenges that we had that, you know, if you weren't running a business like that, you just didn't really understand and had so much value in learning from each other and sharing with each other just over beers at some other event that we decided to meet up a few weeks later and invited some of our friends that were in similar roles. And then that just snowballed into something that was happening 
every other month and we had more and more people showing up every time. And so it was clearly something that the community was asking for. And so we ended up formalizing the organization as a nonprofit here in New York City, you know, branded the New York City Innovation Collective, decided upon sort of like the values and mission that we would have. But the real thesis is there are thousands of organizations in New York and around the world that serve tech startups, but there's no one that really serves them. There was no one that was creating community for the people that were running accelerators and incubators, for example, so that we could speak to each other about the challenges that we faced, what best practices were, tactics that we used that worked, other things we did that failed, and to allow us to all be better. Because when those organizations are better, then we're helping startups to be more effective. And when those companies are more effective, they grow and raise more money and create more jobs. And that benefits the ecosystem. And so we created the organization to serve the people that were serving startups and the broader innovation ecosystem in New York City. Today, we are 115 organizations that are corporate and university innovation offices and the people that run those offices, incubators and accelerators, whether it's based out of a university or it's a funded accelerator or it's an incubator like WeWork Labs. And really creating community of all of those people, we have now about 1,000 members all in New York City, represented by those 115 organizations. And we're hosting events monthly. We're creating shared resources for those groups. But the real idea is that if we can help that aspect of the ecosystem to operate more effectively, every single accelerator we help has an impact on 10, 15, 20, 50. You know, Venture Out accelerates over 150 companies a year. And so we help 10 of them, we help 20 of them, you can do the math on the sort of magnified impact we can have on the ecosystem. And this is very much sort of the first phase of the Innovation Collective. And this kind of community and best practice share, resource share doesn't exist in other critical parts of the ecosystem, whether it's creating community for family offices, for angel investors, for venture capital funds. We are uh, interested in really growing beyond the base of accelerators, corporate innovation we have today over the next few years into those other aspects and trying to create sort of one umbrella hub where we have these different chapters representing all of the organizations that drive tech uh, in New York City so that then the leaders of all those organizations and chapters can speak to each other. And we work very closely with the New York City Economic Development Corporation and, and the mayor's office on those initiatives. And so... You know, very exciting work. We are looking to grow the team of advisors and ambassadors that we have. So if anyone's interested, reach out to me or just go to nycinnovationcollective.com and check it out. I think it's amazing all the different cohorts you've had through Venture Out in all these programs over the years from software and sales and business and different tech stacks. And uh, it wouldn't be the humane podcast without talking about AI. So are there any you know AI programs that you're looking to launch with Venture Out as well? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when I was talking about Venture Out earlier, I touched on really the international aspect of the business, which is you know, very much our core focus, but we sort of have two practices. We have an international practice, which is built to serve foreign partners, mostly governments, creating a bridge from their ecosystem to ours, where we're running workshops on the ground in those ecosystems, recruiting the best companies to come to New York, you know, bringing them for a one-week exploration of the market, and then for the ones that are ready, bringing them here to actually launch their business. In our startup practice, we're serving companies directly, not with or for a partner. And so we build one-week programs where we're going directly to startup founders to come and participate. And all of those programs are sector-focused. 
really because sector-focused programs are so much more impactful than a sort of generalist program for a group of companies from a specific geography, for example, because every investor and every corporate and every startup founder, every topic we talk about is related, much more relevant to each one of the founders in the program. And the founders in the program are more relevant to the people we connect them with uh, as well. And so that's our one-week programs in our startup practice. And then we also run the three-month programs directly for startups. The way we run our three-month accelerator is very different than other organizations. It's all built for international startups. And the idea of launching into a new market is very different than what most accelerators are built to do, which is to help companies raise their first real seed round. Trying to raise capital, the fundamentals of that, the network to develop to do that is very much similar regardless of where the companies are coming from. There obviously is a difference for every company, but you can run that kind of program as a cohort approach. You know, figuring out what your immigration strategy is, what, you know, how to refigure out product market fit for the US, you know, what your footprint is going to look like here, your fundraising strategy on top of all of that. That's not a cohort experience. So even like today, we're running a check accelerator for four companies that we're accelerating at once. They each have their own individualized siloed program that is almost 100% one to one programming just for them. So we build custom accelerators per company. So we have, cohorts of companies coming through, but we also have individual companies that come to us. And so those are sort of the two practices. Within the startup practice of sector programs, we've been running AI programs with uh, the NYU Future Lab, NYC.ai for the last couple of years. And so we do a global poll of startups. Those are the programs that we actually have US companies come through as well. There's a big benefit to the international founders that we have to be able to network and learn from uh, American founders as well. It just creates a more diversified uh, cohort experience. And so we do a global poll. We probably reach out to three or 4,000 startups in the AI space in usually 15 or 20 geographies around the world and invite them to apply, run them through sort of a typical selection process, and then have on average a cohort of 10 founders you know, usually it's a 50-50 split on U.S. founders and international founders coming through an intensive one-week program that, as I said before, is essentially a private conference for CEOs of AI companies. And so all of the education, again, is focused on scale strategy because we focus on post-seed, pre-growth startups. All of the investors they meet are AI-focused investors. All of the companies we meet with, it's the Alexa team at Amazon. It is the Watson team at IBM. It is Dennis Mortensen from X.AI. It is uh, you know, very AI machine learning driven program, really trying to help these companies blow up their network of real thought leaders and advisors and corporates and investors in the AI ecosystem in New York City, uh, as well as to educate them on the right ways to be able to scale from their you know, sort of post-seed stage to growth stage. We run that program twice a year. Uh, we ran our last cohort, I'm looking at my calendar here now, the week of uh, April 15th, had a really impressive group of companies coming through. And our next one is going to be likely in mid to late October of this year. So, you know, for any of you AI founders that love David and the Humane podcast, please reach out to him or I if you're interested in, uh, in that program we've got coming up. We are 
probably going to start recruiting for that in the next couple of months here. So anyway, that is most of our overlap with AI. We have a number of, you know, AI so prevalent today and so core to a lot of, uh, you know, sort of new innovation and technology today that in any of our programs, we have AI companies, our French programs, our Czech programs. I mean, our AI program actually had two of our Czech companies in it because they were innovating in machine learning as a critical part of their software platforms. So all of those programs really today have AI because it's really a layer across sort of all aspects of technology, almost like, you know, the internet isn't a sector, it cuts across all tech isn't is a sector. But you know, you look at what's happening in New York, it's publishing tech and advertising tech and fintech and education tech or ed tech. You know, it is tech innovating on top of an existing business industry and AI is very much the same thing. So we're definitely seeing a lot of it. And, you know, it's been great to work with Steve Kuyan and the team over at NYC.ai because we are very much generalists and we always run our sector programs in partnership with a very deep sector expert organization and team so that we can customize that program to really answer the questions that those founders will have. And, you know, what is trending today is very different from what's going to be trending in three months. And and I don't know what that is in all sectors. And so it's just really critical to be able to work with partners like that. And we've learned so much from the opportunity to do that, not only in that program, but you know our ed tech programs with Ash from StartEd that runs uh, innovation programs in partnership with NYU, with the team over at XRC Labs that is a retail and brand accelerator that we partner with on our retail and e-commerce programs and, and the rest. Awesome. Thanks so much for dropping all those knowledge bombs and for being with us today, Brian. Uh, love everything happening and excited to check out that new program in October this year. Maybe we'll bring you in to speak about it. Speak at it. Let's do it. Well, you'll, become a, you'll become a mentor of Venture App. All right. Fantastic. Love it. Thanks for being on Humane. Virtual high five. David, thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to doing it uh, again sometime soon. Perfect. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, Brian. All right. Have a great day, sir. Bye. Hey, humans. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humane. My name is David Jakobovich. And if you like Humane, remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Luminary. Thanks for tuning in and join us for our next episode. New releases are every Tuesday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.